friends, welcome to the Intuitive Mother Podcast, the podcast created to help you awaken, heal, and connect to your truth and your desires as you journey home to you in the midst of motherhood. I'm your host, Angie Schaefer, wife, mom of two teen daughters, intuitive life coach, and Reiki healer, creator of The Awoken Woman, and spiritual joy seeker. Each week, we'll come together and chat just as if we are on my sofa, side by side, sharing sacred space. It is my greatest hope to help other moms by offering insights, interviews, and straight up truth on all things motherhood and womanhood to guide your journey home with a friendly and healing vibe. Our time is now. Let's go. Welcome back to the Intuitive Mother Podcast. I am so excited to have you here with me today. I know it's been a few weeks since a new episode has gone live, and much of that is because of the whirlwind of navigating our youngest daughter transitioning from one major to another in her performing arts school, and our other daughter is busy with the senior year festivities of homecoming and college applications and all of the fun stuff. So we have been wrapped up in that. And with all of that, I have been navigating some of my own personal highs and lows. And I will definitely be back to share more of that with you in a couple of weeks. But for today, I am super excited to announce that we have a guest on our episode this week and next week. We're going to do part one and part two. This week is all about intuitive eating and, you know, understanding the spectrum of disorders around eating and body image and, you know, how we show up in that as women and mothers. And then next week, we are going to talk about perimenopause being the second puberty for all of us that are there in the thick of perimenopause. And I am excited for both of these episodes because they both hit home for me. I know that I have shared often on the podcast that our youngest has navigated and dealt with body dysmorphia and disordered eating and generalize like non-specific eating disorder, anxiety and all of that. And so that this first episode plays into a lot of what we have navigated in her life. And then for next week's episode, I am have been in perimenopause and I just love what our guest has to share about it being our second puberty and I've been friends with her for about two years where we met at another mastermind event and had, you know, just kept in touch following each other on social media. And I was noticing more and more that what she shares about intuitive eating and what she shares about perimenopause being the second puberty is right up my alley and interesting to me and something that I think all women should listen in and just really take it in and see how it fits into your life. And the invitation is there to then explore and dive deeper. We will share our guests information for that at the end of the episode. And also 
um, in the show notes. So without any more chit-chat for me, I am going to share a little bit about our guest. Today and next week, we have Kate Williams Stone on the podcast. She is a certified health and life coach through the Health Coach Institute. In addition, she has specialized training in intuitive eating with Evelyn Trebol, co-author of the book, Intuitive Eating. She helps smart women like you master healthy living in their 40s. If you could imagine waking up every day feeling energized and amazing without food rules, restrictions, and white-knuckling through the day, our 40s are often a wake-up call to health. We lose the fad diets and quick fixes that we used to use in our 20s and 30s that no longer work, and we are here in our 40s, and Kate is here with so much goodness to share with us about the principles of intuitive eating coupled with hormone health habits as a powerful way to support your healthy living lifestyle. Her signature framework includes gentle nutrition, hormone health, daily health habits, and mindfulness practice. You deserve to find food freedom, body confidence, and ditch the diet forever. Now, before becoming a health and life coach, Kate was a professional actress in New York City for over 10 years. She appeared on Law & Order, Criminal Intent, Guiding Light, All My Children, and numerous TV commercials and regional theater productions. She currently lives in North Carolina with her husband and son. Her favorite way to recharge is to be in the garden while listening to a podcast. So I hope you enjoy today's episode and the one coming up next week as we welcome Kate to dive into all things intuitive eating and all things perimenopause. I look forward to sharing part one with you today and here we go. All right, friends. So welcome back to the Intuitive Mother podcast. We have a special guest for you today. She is from North Carolina. She's a certified health and life coach with a specialization in intuitive eating. She's a wife, a mother, and she loves to recharge in her garden and listen to podcasts. So this is such a fun fit to have her on the podcast today. I would love to welcome Kate Stone to all of you and have her open up and share a little bit about what she does and where she's come from and how everything has evolved in her life to be in this moment. So welcome. I Kate. love it. Thanks, Angie. I'm so excited to be here and to chat with you. So how I got to where I am today, um, what I do is I help women in their 40s in that perimenopause phase, really make peace with food and their body through the principles of intuitive eating. And I came to this place, gosh, the long, the, sh the short version <laughs> of the very long story. I had a previous career as a prof professional actress in New York City. Um, I suffered from an eating disorder when I was in college. It's super common when you major in performing arts. Mm -hmm. I went through my own personal journey of recovery with my eating disorder. And on the other side really became very health conscious, right? How do I take care of myself? Um, there was a spiritual healing journey alongside of that eating disorder recovery. And then through my various careers, when I left acting and then got into retail training and a corporate career, um, 
I found myself in my 40s at this desk job in corporate America. It was the first time I ever sat at a desk. It was kind <laughs> of strange. And I just felt out of body, right? Being at a desk job for the first time in my life, I had my body had changed. It had put on weight in different ways. I felt uncomfortable. I didn't feel myself. I know now part of that was perimenopause that I was feeling, but I couldn't identify it at the time. And I wanted to change something about my body, but I also knew that if I went back to the restrictive ways I had used in my 20s, like counting calories, over-exercising, um, restricting, starving, that it would set off my eating disorder again. Uh -huh. So I was in this place of how do I make changes? How do I feel better? Because I don't feel good, but how do I do it without using restriction and deprivation? And that's when um, I found intuitive eating and then eventually went on to become certified as a health and life coach to be able to share this with others. And even within my health and life coach certification program, I realized how much diet culture was infused in that training, that even focusing on health and health coaching for people, we were focused on weight as the weight loss as the primary outcome uh -huh. versus holistic health. And so that's when I went to pursue even further training with um, one of the co-authors of Intuitive Eating, the book, um, Evelyn Tripoli, and really then realized, wow, this intuitive eating is kind of magic for these for women like me who are in their 40s. Uh -huh. So that's what I, I do now is I, I coach love people one on one. Uh, <laughs> I love that. And I love what came through for me in that is how you evolved from taking this time period and this um, part of you and your story and your life. And it evolved to not only helping yourself, but helping others through it. Mm -hmm. And um, I have shared many, many times on this podcast, and I have even had my youngest daughter on the podcast to share some of her own story. But I am the mother of a 15-year-old who has had has disordered eating and has navigated some of that. And some of our conversations have revolved around like, this is going to be a, a blessing in the long run, because you are going to be able to help somebody else. And so it actually like gives me chills. And I just love hearing like how you evolved through that. And, it, and you know, and what a success story of just in, in its own form of success, like, it fills my heart because I think as a mom, I've sat there going like, oh my gosh, is this going to plague her forever? And like, how are we going to navigate this? Is she going to be okay? Does she hear me when I'm saying like, this can help others in the future? And this is, this is okay. And um, you know what, really that jumps out at me, but um, I would love to just have you share a little bit from your experience and all of your background and education in it, the wide spectrum of what we might be thinking about as mothers when we hear eating disorder or disordered eating, dieting, like, and how, you know, if you could explain that spectrum, which is yeah. um, 
something that I was unaware of as a mom, you know, I just flat out as soon as I knew my daughter was emotionally binging and all of that was starting to come up, I just labeled it an eating disorder. But then again, I looked at the the label of eating disorder and I looked at like the subsets and I was like, well, I don't really know which one she fits into. So I would love to hear and have you share with our audience in case anyone else is listening. And I know it will be a wealth of information for me, that spectrum. And then I know when you and I talked once before, we even talked about anorexia and how we have this perceived notion of what an anorexic person that going through that looks like versus the reality. So, yeah. So for my own personal story, I mean, my diagnosis in my twenties was eating disorder unspecified. And at the time, my perfectionist brain thought, wow, I'm not even good enough to be labeled anorexic. Can't she, on the medical diagnosis, can't she check that other box? <laughs> can't I be accomplished? Uh, because also in my mind, I wasn't skinny enough to be anorexic. I thought you yeah. had to be under 100 pounds to be anorexic. And that was the mentality that back then, right? This is uh -huh. in the late 90s. I think we've opened up our scope and uh, realization of what eating disorders look like and behave like. Now there's there's some progression, which is really good. Uh, there's and so eating disorders are those extreme things we think of, right? Anorexia, bulimia, compulsive overeating. There's also a word called orthorexia now, which is obsession with clean eating and body image, but it's not a medical diagnosis yet. It's like generalized. I was probably uh -huh. orthorexic would have been my diagnosis now, but we didn't even have that uh -huh. word. And so we think of these extremes with eating disorders and also maybe definitions of like weight, right? Like you have to be this skinny to be anorexic. Uh -huh. And instead of focusing on the outcome, which is the weight, focusing on the behavior and the mindset. So it is possible for somebody to be in a bigger body and be anorexic, right? Because it's actually a mental health disorder, uh -huh. not a uh -huh. physical disorder, right? right. So those are that you know bulimia is binging and purging anorexia is restricting food over exercising can show up for different people we think of that stereotypical like skin and bones thin hair uh -huh. kind of look and then as we back up um, in the spectrum in the middle is this category of disordered eating so maybe not the full-fledged eating disorder but there's obsession around food right there's food rules I can only eat this if I've exercised this much. I can I can't eat anything that's not organic, that's not low fat, that's not low carb, right? We can take all of these rules and different people they'll manifest in different ways, but create these rules that don't work for us, but create, you know, keep us in control. So that would be like the range of disordered eating. And mm -hmm. then on the far end of disordered eating and eating disorders, I would say is dieting. And you know, the most common outcome of a diet is an eating disorder. Uh -huh. That's not losing that's weight, not yeah. losing weight, right? An right. Eating disorder. <laughs> that's crazy. And we've it's all crazy. been raised by women that dieted that yeah. this, you know, the generation of women that are listening to this podcast, I know we've all been raised. I will leap out there and just say that that's the truth because yeah. I don't know one woman in my family of origin that didn't diet. 
I don't know yeah. a woman in my husband's family of origin. I mean, I remember getting married and my husband's mother was like, I'm going to go on a diet. Uh, like I'm joining Weight Watchers. Da, da, da. And it was crazy how, you know, I've never even shared this with her, but my I've shared it with my husband and that like, you could just see it like propel off into like this over-exercising. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh. But that generation, the generation of women before us, I don't know one that didn't diet at some point in their life. Yeah. And then sometimes there became this obsession over that look or going down Absolutely. the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. And it's not bad, right, to be obsessed with our looks because it is the society we're in, mm -hmm. right? We're told there are certain beauty standards, size standards, what we should look like. And so mm -hmm. part of that really like the patriarchy right <laughs> saying mm -hmm. this is how you should look act feel right. behave right and dieting is a part of that right right it is and you know it was actually one of my greatest concerns with my daughters and then especially my daughter who has targeted in on body image as one of her um, and to back up a little bit, I will even share that it was sort of news to me. And I even have a background in social work and psychology and all of that, that eating disorder is a mental health concern, not a separate concern. So I took her at 12 years old to a psychologist for an evaluation because I found out she was throwing away her lunches and somebody in third grade told her her belly was too big to be wearing a certain shirt. So at nine to 12, that had just snowballed. And then there were, I've been very honest on the podcast before that there were things I said because of what I had learned as a woman and a girl growing up that were not okay. And I have taken full responsibility, but I would freight like I'd put her in one, her and my husband and I in one category of how we ate and my other daughter in a category that was allowed to eat more because she exercised three hours a day for swimming competitively. And then she, my youngest took all that in and it seeped in and it just fed into what that nine-year-old had already said to her. And so by 12, here we are at a psychology office to get an evaluation of an eating disorder. I'm expecting to fully come out with an eating disorder diagnosis. And the psychologist is like, we have a generalized anxiety disorder. And I would imagine we're leaning towards depression, but I don't have enough of time with her to give you and give her that diagnosis. And this was a place that wasn't willing to take her on because of her age, but they were willing to give us that initial evaluation. And I walked out thinking, I had no, I, I had no idea that eating disorders, like they didn't teach me this in psychology that like you could, or mental, I took mental health classes that like you could, that was all, it was like a, it was an, that mental health was the umbrella and the eating disorder was under it. And that the eating disorder had to come from the anxiety or the depression or you know, something else. So I, I just, I was blown away. And I think we often don't recognize that as moms. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know, did we get used to thinking like maybe that was, well, of course, we're obsessed with our weight because patriarchy and that's what we're supposed to look like. And that's OK. But we certainly don't want to say our kid has depression as well. And I mean, I think it was it's hard to say any of it. it's hard to come to terms with any of it as a mom. 
But, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Yeah. And so anyway, one of my greatest concerns was that we live in a society where we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves and we've been taught that we should be a certain size and certain sizes are prettier than others. And um, men like certain sizes more. And here she was like, not on social media a lot, but I had to question like, what is she actually seeing and where, and our comparison is no longer the model in the Vogue magazine. It's now the girl that goes to school with me. And yeah, it, I think it just fed the comparisonitis even deeper and really snowballed some more of her her concerns with herself. And um, it all came down to control for her. Yeah. What could she control? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I think you bring up such a good point that what's underneath the outward manifestation, right? It can manifest as I can only eat this much or I have certain mm-hmm. health rules or requirements or, you know, rigid rules around timing or what I'm eating. But that's just on the surface. Uh We can't treat just that. It's like, what's behind that? What's deeper? What's going on at a deeper level? And what you're speaking to is like underneath, there's anxiety, there's depression, there's a lack of control, you know, going into Uh a new school system or a changing, you know, prepubescent body, right? Like there's all that anxiety. I mean, those are the same things I went through. Uh And so if we can address what's going on at a deeper level, um, that can relieve some of the symptoms of Uh disordered eating or an eating disorder. It can't just be a physical treatment or a Uh symptom treatment. And I'm not an eating disorder um, specialist. I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, but Uh it's what's behind there, you know? And I think as adults, it can be a similar thing. This is one thing I work with my clients on is like when cravings come up, the craving is usually a signal Mm-hmm. that there's an unmet need, mm-hmm. something else is going on. So the yeah. craving can show up as like, oh gosh, I really like would love some chocolate cake right now. And I can't stop thinking about it. Like I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it all day, but what else is going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's okay you, yeah. to eat the chocolate cake, but like right. what else is going on? You know? Right. Yeah. I, and I think that's such a great point because I feel like as women, if it's not a craving for food, the other place I see this a lot in my own personal journey and others that I've spoken to is that extra, that glass of wine. And mm-hmm. it's, there's always something yeah. underneath. It's not, it's not like I want the glass of wine. I mean, you might, you get to a point and the healthy point is to be like, I want the glass of wine because I would like a glass of red wine with my spaghetti dinner and it would taste really good. Not I'm going to pour that glass of red wine because I can't control what's going on. I can't, con- I don't like these feelings. I don't like what's coming up. So I think it, you know, to the same effect of cravings. So intuitive eating, um, does that take like by definition? Is it it's feeling into like the underneath, like the cravings and the underneath, and what's underneath all of that? So you know, just yeah. the definition or how that really plays in because it's that's new to me, and I only knew one other person that talked to me about intuitive eating, and it actually I knew very little, but I would start to like rephrase what I was saying or even like thinking to myself like you know, why, like, you know, and 
I, I can eat whatever I want when I, but why or whatever. And like, I yeah. started to try to think about it more and I don't have a whole lot. So I think the audience would really um, love to hear more about intuitive eating and how that phases in with those like deeper cravings. Yeah. So intuitive eating, um, if you want to read the textbook on it, pick up intuitive eating, the fourth edition. It's amazing. It's based on 10 principles, which I can share with you. And it has over 150 research studies associated with it, which I think oh. is really important to call out because you can think like, oh, intuitive eating, it's very flowy. And like, we're just like, we, I can eat whatever I want and there's no rules and, and that's it. But if that's all you know about intuitive eating, honestly, in about three to 10 days, you're going to feel like crap. <laughs> like, you know, like, and that's when people give up on intuitive eating because they're like, this isn't working. Like, right. Because one of the first principles of intuitive eating is reject the diet mentality. So part of the conversation that we've just started on is like really looking at diet culture and how it shows up in our society and identifying that. Oh, you know what? Let me read all 10 principles because I think it's okay. really helpful yeah, for people yeah. to know. So number one, reject the diet mentality. Number two, honoring your hunger. So doing the work to get in touch with like, when am I actually hungry? Uh -huh. You know, and for a lot of us, we're actually disconnected from that natural physical cue because we've learned to listen to somebody else's rules about our hunger for so long. So uh -huh. part of that is kind of re-engaging hunger cues, um, making peace with food. So that's letting go of some of those rules and regulations. And I can only eat this if, you know, things that we've uh -huh. created for ourselves, uh -huh. challenging the food police. So challenging the food police means like, what are those external rules that people have set up for me that I'm listening to? Or sometimes right. it's a person in our life, right? Sometimes it's uh -huh. a mother who says like, you can't eat after seven o'clock, uh -huh. the kitchen's closed. Uh -huh. But what if you're, what if you're hungry? What if you're hungry? <laughs> right. right? Um, number five is discover the satisfaction factor. And I see this as at the core of intuitive eating. When we are eating foods that are satisfying to us, we're fully satiated. We don't have cravings. So some of that is a physical satisfaction, mm -hmm. you know, of getting the right combination of protein and fats and fiber and all of that. But some of it too, is just like, what is the texture of our food? Like it's fall now, all of a sudden I'm craving soups that I didn't mm -hmm. want to eat at all this summer, right? That's our natural satisfaction factor mm -hmm. and listening to that. Um, number six is feel your fullness. So bringing awareness to how full am I during this meal? Am I present in this meal? And then like, mm -hmm. am I overstuffed? Am I not full enough? And, and really honoring that fullness. And for somebody who's coming from a more restrictive or diet mentality or a disordered or eating disordered background, like feeling your fullness can be a very uncomfortable sensation. Mm -hmm. Sitting with that fullness. So it, it is a practice to sit with that fullness. The seventh principle is cope with your emotions with kindness. So this is the mental and spiritual piece uh -huh. of how do we deal with our emotions? Because that's what's underneath how we're acting out, you know, with right. different food rules. And um, how do we do this with kindness? 
uh, to ourselves and, mm-hmm. and our bodies. Um, number eight, respect your body. This is the principle, respect your body is wearing clothes that fit, that feel good. It's going to your underwear drawer and throwing out the underwear that's too tight and doesn't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like it is simple things like that, but like you do not have a good day when your underwear is too tight. Right, right. That is body or, respect or your at its jeans. core. Like there's no, yeah, yeah. If something feels tight, just, just put it away and yeah. go get new ones or whatever because you feel a lot better. If you're in something Absolutely. that feels good versus like, oh my God, I can't move. Yeah, <laughs> but the underwear, many... I love that. Like how many times <laughs> I've looked in my underwear drawer and there's like underwear that are like 15 years old that clearly they were never comfortable because I've, they're still no, you know, they're fine. I could wear them. The elastic's probably worn out just because it's dying, but you know, they're still sitting there. And I'm like, who wore it? Like, why would I have even gotten those things? Probably just because I thought they looked cute but they're not cute and <laughs> they're not cute when you, you don't know. feel good. <laughs> Throw them out, Angie. Throw them out. I'll be binging my, um, no, purging. I'll be purging, purging. my yes. um, underwear drawer <laughs> tomorrow. Morning. I love it. I love it. Um, the ninth principle is movement. So we use the word movement instead of exercise because so that. many of yeah. us have a loaded relationship with the word exercise and it feels like punishment. It feels like a a way to earn our food. So instead we talk about movement and feeling the difference. What does it feel like when we tap into our body and listen to intuition about like what feels good as far as a way to move today? Is it a walk outside on a beautiful sunny day? Is it a yoga class? Is it a hard spin class that gets my heart rate up Mm -hmm. and, you know, my blood pumping and I'm sweating? It's not that we're against hard workouts. It's just honoring the bodies. There are some days you just, you know, can't and you don't. And you know what? Even a few years ago, I was training for my first half marathon and man, you push through like, you know, I don't feel like doing this. And when it came time to like, train for, I was just recently training and we had to cancel it for COVID. I said to my daughter who was training with me, you really should only have four running days on your week because your body needs to be able to get up one morning and say, I'm not running today. Like I'm just not doing it. I could take a walk. I could do yoga or lift, but like forced workouts of a certain type don't work for all mentalities and it is it's exhausting and your body will fight yeah. back and break down so yeah, i love that absolutely of movement versus like embracing movement versus a workout or an exercise it sounds so much more like just easy to hit like well of course i'm yeah. gonna i'm just gonna go out and take a quick walk at lunch yeah yeah and so yeah. many of us have had that relationship with exercise where we've pushed ourselves for so long that then in our forties and fifties, we have no motivation to exercise Mm -hmm. because that's what it feels like. It feels hard and pushed and like a chore and another thing to do on the to-do list versus moving from a joyful place Mm -hmm. and feeling the difference. So there's a lot of healing in the relationship with movement. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And then the 10th principle of intuitive eating is honoring your health with nutrition. And this is a really important one because there's a misconception out there, especially if you're scrolling Instagram all the time, that intuitive eating is all about eating cupcakes and donuts all the time every day. And there's no nutritional piece. 
there's absolutely a nutritional component to intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. It's just that it intentionally comes last because the healing has to happen first mm -hmm. inside on an emotional, spiritual, and physical level before we can apply gentle nutrition guidelines. Mm -hmm. So whereas a diet or a food plan works from outside not even in right because it usually doesn't deal with the internal right. intuitive eating is working from the inside out dealing with the inner landscape first and then going to the outside habits because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if you're happy on the inside and you're feeling good on the inside it will slowly move outward to your entire life and everything that you do and touch if you're only dieting it's so external like you're looking for external validation your external just you know what you're what somebody thinks you look like now what you what the scale says when you you yeah. know get on it and everything so that makes so much sense to me that you have to go through all the internal before you yeah. can really come to the nutrition part yeah i think the yeah. main difference is intuitive eating we don't focus on the weight or the number on the mm -hmm. scale as the outcome, we focus on the behavior, the things mm -hmm. that we can control, the things that we can do every day, those healthy habits every day versus controlling the number on the scale. Because honestly, we don't really have control over the number on the scale. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, like, and, right. And what an amazing, like, I, I feel like as moms, it's our duty to teach our children at some point as, you know, they're growing up, like, first off, I hate BMI. I hate, like, we have a scale. I don't, they're, like, three years ago, I think I was probably getting on it more for what reason. I don't, I don't even know. Like, I was never anyone that really was worried about that. At least in my mind, there must have been something subconsciously going on. But, like, there, our children are faced with the BMI number from a young age mm -hmm. um, at mm -hmm. their doctor's office. I can remember the doctor actually saying in front of my daughter, her BMI is close to the top of the healthy range. Mm -hmm. well, she heard that you, at like 10 yeah. and I was like, hello. Okay. We're not coming back here. We're not. Cause we're not talking Good about that. For and you. Then also like they, you know, had to get on the weight. What I loved when we went to the eating disorder clinic for my daughter, it was that all the weights were done backwards. Mm -hmm. So she never yeah. saw them. Um, but it's crazy how in society, like, I don't know when this shifts, but in society, we just were at her family doctor a week ago. And it's still just normal for all of us to just be put on the scale and looked at it. Like we have to look at it. We have to see them moving the slider, depending if it's an old mm -hmm. school one. And then they have to announce it to us. Like it doesn't even, yeah. if we are healthy. And like, I would say to my daughter, like, the number is going to change, especially as a woman, especially as you get closer to um, puberty, because she was a little mm -hmm. younger then. Um, you could be in puberty already and your body is changing. We can tell that by the height based on you know, how tall you are um, in comparison to even your peers 
Like she was a mm-hmm. early bloomer in even spiking up in height, but it's always going to change. I, I would say to her, like I get up in the morning and my weight is this. And then by midday, it's this, and by evening, it's this. And a week later, it's totally, it's like 10 pounds yeah. than all of that because puberty and hormones just fluctuate our weight so much. And how much water did you drink? And what did you eat? And yeah. Like all the, but even when I say, what did you eat? I'm even thinking like, you know, some days, you know, you had like, I would just think like, well, I had pasta and I know that it, like everything feels heavier today. Mm-hmm. So I don't, we don't, we have not shifted as a society, the way we look at that number or how that's connected to weight. I mean, I see it happening slowly, but then you say like the, I'm still in doctor's offices where they're still yeah. taking the weight. And I mean, perhaps she even has like a history and people know that. So that would be, you would think that would be like a red star, like don't yeah. announce and don't talk about it yeah so just so your listeners know like bmi body mass index was created by a man first off and a man (laughs) and it was also based on white male bodies no people of color no female bodies and when it was developed it was never designed to be used in the way that our current medical community uses it it was not designed for that that's at like all. a huge, like, I hope our listeners hear that and really take it in because I know I have listeners that have little girls and I know that the doctors are talking about it. And then yeah, it makes us like, as the mom, you're like, oh my God, like what? Like she's yeah. just, yeah. I, I, we eat really well. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know what it is. So it's crazy that that wasn't even designed for that. I didn't know that. I, yeah, it yeah. wasn't designed for that. And our kids should not be subjected to these conversations and have mm-hmm. anxiety about their growing bodies mm-hmm. that their BMI is too high. You, yeah. you also have the right in any medical office to refuse for your weight to be taken. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100%. It can be a very awkward conversation because I have done it, but we take our weight and our pulse like at at doctor's visits that make no sense whatsoever. I mean, I remember being in early labor with my son and the first thing they did was weigh me. (laughs) Why? To see how (laughs) you're going to drop eight pounds in a few hours. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now I remember I like had lost my mind because I was in early labor, but I remember being on the scale and I still remember the number it was, but I remember thinking I'm in labor. Why does this make sense? But I could, didn't have the capacity to have that say anything at that moment. Anything. But yeah, oh so gosh. you absolutely have the right to refuse to either be weighed backwards mm-hmm. or to say, I don't want to be weighed today. And, you know, there are health at every size medical practitioners and health mm-hmm. at every size is aligned with intuitive eating. So there are practitioners out there and those are the words that you want to look for um, that will not weigh you. Right. No, thank you for but, sharing those words. Cause I just saw them on your Instagram the other day and I was like, Oh, that's another new term. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that you shared. Yeah. 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 So, you ah. know, it's getting some of that, um, fat phobia and like this hyper-focused, mm-hmm. uh, behavior on weight, especially around BMI when it was never designed to be used the way it is. And it's yeah. causing such, yeah. and, and also they changed the standards a few years ago. So all of a sudden overnight, people were labeled obese. Oh, oh. Huh. Yeah, because they changed the the mm-hmm. tiers. 
Well, I can share a crazy thing. It's our school district that was the first school district that made national news for starting to send out BMI letters to parents that named your wow. kid overweight or underweight. Is our school district. <sighs> like post my years there. Um, yeah. But in time for my kids. And that like, it did make the national news. I don't know if it was like 15 years ago or something, but what a horrible and like at the time I thought nothing of like protesting that or speaking with someone like this is on it's not your it's not even your um business like truly what I mean go ahead take her eyesight because that might make sense that makes sense so we know that she can see and it was a school teacher that caught our youngest daughter had an issue with her eyes but um the BMI like I was crazy when that Mm -hmm. came out and parents were going crazy like you who are you to tell me you're their school nurse yeah. and you're just like popping around the scale in front of, but we were also like every year you would have to get on the scale with your peers right behind you mm-hmm. and get your weight checked. And we are just such a weight central focus society back then. I do feel like we are, there's some shifting of, yeah. I guess what I'm thinking more along the lines is not necessarily our practitioners, but there's some shifting of um, advertisements and embracing all body sizes, all people of color, all, and, and that is such a huge impact. I have, I've seen that impact my daughter positively, or that she will say Mm -hmm. like, I won't shop from that brand because they're not body inclusive. Mm. And, um, so I feel like, thank God for our next generation, because they're aware, whether it was a personal struggle or not, they are aware and they are, I believe they're the ones that save us. And they, you know, they begin all the unlearning of all of the stuff that doesn't feel right. And we didn't realize it didn't feel right. Yeah. And we went through yeah. it in our teen years, like, okay, this is just what we accept. This is what mom says. And mm-hmm. I have been so grateful. Both my daughters are the ones that are like, no, it's not okay. Just because you say that, like, yeah, even like the other day. So this is an interesting, the other day we're sitting at our dinner table and my husband didn't finish his meal. I shouldn't really care. Right. Like, what do I care? I even know I have a daughter sitting at the table who has, um, eating concerns and body image concerns. And I was like, you didn't finish your dinner. Like, are you, aren't you hungry? And she over here, like shuts down. I'm like, what, what is going on? Why does she seem mad at me suddenly? So I was like, is something wrong? Could you just tell me if something's wrong? She's like, I don't like that you noticed what's on dad's plate. Yes. I was like, holy moly. Okay. So then I feel, I feel hard and bad because I do accept the things I say, but it doesn't mean that they feel any easier to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh Oh, like something just slipped. So I sat with it that night and like, why, why would I care if he has food left on his plate? And I could immediately hear my grandmother, my mother saying like, you must not be hungry today. Is that why there's, is that why you left food? Like, oh, we don't, or we don't want to leave food because we don't want to throw that out for, you know, there's people starving in the world or 
you know, any yeah, of that. All those messages. We were so ingrained in these messaging of not wasting food, which by the way, you can be full and not waste food and just put it in a dish to eat tomorrow, which well, we that's do. True. But um, also like just the messaging of what I was hearing and then how I was saying that and how that's interpreted from others. Whereas in my mind, it was just the natural thing to say is like, oh, do you feel okay? Or why aren't you finishing what's on your plate? And it wasn't even her that, you know, my husband could have cared less. He was just like answering the question. (laughs) Like, no, I'm just full. And I'm like, okay. And she immediately shut down. So yeah, the messaging, I feel like we're doing a good job of our age of like being aware and awakened to how things have to shift in order to um, really heal, heal like all of society, you know, heal in many, many ways. There's a lot of this going on right now, but just heal within our family and, you know, what we say at our own dinner table and being aware of the dieting culture and how things have evolved and what we can do to make changes for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're healing generational trauma, Mm -hmm. you speaking to like the messaging your grandmother would have told you of (laughs) like, clean your plate, be in the clean plate club, don't waste that food, someone's Mm -hmm. starving in China, right? We (laughs) heard those messages, right? That's the typical. Mm -hmm. And our our kids are, are calling us up to this greater level of healing. And so, you know, as mothers, being able to do this intuitive eating work, intuitive healing work Mm -hmm. for ourselves in turn helps our kids and Mm -hmm. their relationship with food and body. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like when we, when we know better, we do better, you know, just even bringing awareness to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But I think think it's also interesting, like, you know, I have a a 12 year old son and so, you know, all the hormones are going on Mm -hmm. in our house and it's, you know, being a mother in perimenopause, seeing these perimenopause can also be called like a second puberty. And I think about it with your daughters too. It's like these changing bodies, these changing hormones. And then as mothers, we're going through like a simultaneous hormone changing That's that's why it's crazy in the house (laughs) at the same time. Well, yeah. I mean, during (laughs) COVID. What's going on? They're all crazy. Yeah. Yeah. During COVID, I was like, God, this is not a funny joke. My preteen son is trapped in the house with his very hormonal mother. Like, (laughs) this is not cool. But we're all learning together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love the work that you do for perimenopause and really embracing that second puberty and learning all about it. I had shared just a few minutes ago that you used a term on your Instagram and we'll share all of that then that I didn't know about, you know, healthy at all sizes, I think is what you said. Yeah. Um, yeah. Healthy. You also size. brought up perimenopause being the second puberty. And I know that that is a conversation that we want to have because I'm there and we have a lot of those simultaneous hormones going on in our house. And I know when you and I spoke just like a week ago, I said to you, oh my gosh, like this makes so much sense. You would often hear, I feel from other families, like about teenage, like when the teenage daughters and the teenage, not the teenage mom, but the teenage daughters and the mom start like 
driving almost the husband like oh my god what can i say what is going on mm -hmm. everything has shifted and how we just accepted that to be like oh that's just what it is like teenage girls and their moms mm -hmm. butt heads or things are going on when you posted that about that being the second puberty and i'm thinking well no wonder teenage girls and their mothers are like i'm gonna you know add each other's throats or highs and lows like we're all bipolar running around the house like what mm -hmm. and my husband will often say like i don't i'm not sure like mood wise what's going on in here i'm like just breathe walk away breathe and walk away but that is such a big conversation to have and i know i want to have you back on the show to do a whole episode on perimenopause being the second puberty because moms need to hear more about that just a couple of your posts have like enlightened me enough to be like oh okay that makes perfect sense and it also makes perfect sense why our bodies are shifting and changing and yeah. everything feels the same if we really try to remember how much that it felt like that at the first puberty like where everything yeah. is shifting and changing and unknown and gosh like how out of control that felt often oh my god completely out of control yeah. and out of body right just right. feeling like i don't feel like myself yes um yes. like an ungroundedness and then yes there are like physical changes like the mood swings mm -hmm. and the weight gain and different weight distribution things that go on in perimenopause as related to our hormones mm -hmm. and yeah and it knowing that perimenopause is like a second puberty has helped me have more compassion with myself mm -hmm. because I think about what would I say to 12 year old Kate mm -hmm. going through that, that radical transformation on like a physical level, emotional and spiritual level, right? The journey that we went on from like age 11 to 15, we completely transformed, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You were a different person. Mm -hmm. My gosh, mind yes. body spirit and thinking of the same thing for us now like from age 40 to 50 55 whenever mm -hmm. your official menopause is that it is a radical transformation on a physical spiritual mental level like mm -hmm. you and if you're open to it it can be that portal for, for transformation mm -hmm. um and i think we need to talk about it more because we had support in puberty. We had support when we had our babies, right? And postpartum, but where's the conversation and the support around this menopause transition, mm -hmm. you know, and opening up mm -hmm. that conversation. Oh my gosh, I yeah. love that. Like some of what you said just gives me chills. And I even think when you said about like thinking about what you would say and how you would feel as like 12 year old Kate, so much of our healing is around, what would we say and do and be for our 12 year old or our five year old self. Like, what did she need us to be? Because this isn't mm -hmm. even about like blaming our moms or our dads or our grandmas for what they didn't do, but what like they didn't know we needed. And yeah. being able to now, you know, like my daughter looks at me and says, I don't like when you say that about what's on a plate and she's bringing awareness to it vocally right then and there, but almost being able to take a step inward and say like, what did I need to say to myself? What did I need to be or do for myself when I was 12 going through this or five or whatever? And how can I show up for her now and listen for her mm -hmm. to guide me? It's such a, you know, a a full circle moment, I think, in perimenopause to come back home and be like, well, okay, I'm going to finally listen to you. 
inside and deep down and let mm-hmm. you guide, you know, what am I hungry for? How do I feel nourished? How yeah. do I want to move today? What do I, what do I need? Do I need to sleep and just rest because I'm out and I know it? I think that's so huge. And I, I have a feeling like that will be a, a very fun conversation because it sounds like that's very much like a lot of the internal work I've been doing personally. And I say mm. motherhood was the portal to my awakening. But that motherhood has brought me like full circle back to who did I need to show up as for myself? Like, how can I remother that little girl that needed me in a different way to say a different thing, to see her in a different way? And to do that in perimenopause just seems like that would be a beautiful, even like that's where the awakening and that whole connection takes place. Yeah, I almost, yeah, the the verbiage you're using, it makes me think of like self-mothering ourselves mm-hmm. like through perimenopause mm-hmm. like yeah. hearing the things we needed to hear and i think this perimenopause transformation time is just such a beautiful portal to apply intuitive eating principles too because right. it's like we're being called up mm-hmm. to something more to something mm-hmm. deeper and there's just something really special about this time and mm-hmm. then also you know, all, all transformation and healing comes from pain and suffering, right? And right. so there is pain. And, I mean, we've all heard the pain and suffering myths about menopause and perimenopause and the mm-hmm. hot flashes mm-hmm. and the sleepless nights and all of that. <laughs> but it's like, how do we, with all those pain points are just asking us to take care of our physical bodies in a different mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Like our hormones, mm-hmm. our estrogen, progesterone, insulin, like all of it is just changing. And so because it's changing, our body starts operating in a different way. And it's like, we just need the new instruction manual right? right. of how to do it. Because yeah. what worked in yeah. the 20s doesn't work in the 40s anymore. I mean, I think most women yeah. experience that, but they're like, and where's the next instruction manual? No one right. has given it to me. And this and is really frustrating. Inside. That the instruction manual is yeah. like inside, just waiting to be opened, yeah. and everything that we can learn about intuitive <sighs> eating, and like that's all, like we're all intuitive. We can all, re- but we're yeah. that wasn't how we were raised necessarily to tap into that. So to come in that season of perimenopause to be like, oh, the instruction manual is right in, yeah, me. it's in my heart, it's in my soul. Like I actually know the way forward. When I think I don't, I do. I just have to get quiet. I have to listen to what my body needs. What does it need for nourishment and all that? Oh my gosh. I think that would be such a a fun, exciting, deep conversation. And um, we'll have to get that one on the, on the books to have right away. Absolutely. But I have absolutely loved this conversation and just being able to give my listeners an an uh, overview of intuitive eating, an overview of the spectrum of yeah. body image to dieting to disorders to just how we feed ourselves and the diet culture that we've seen and heard. And I think it's such a great um, way to share that with our listeners. But let me open up for you to share how they can find more out about about you, where they can follow you, what you're offering. I know you have a fantastic guide that probably links more to like our next episode, but you do have a, you know, a fantastic guide for perimenopause and eating and taking care of yourself over 40 that you'll want to share. But share with our listeners a little bit about where they can find you, what you're doing, what you offer, and then we will certainly get a date on the calendar for the next one. 
I love it. This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. So much fun. So where you can find me, my website is katewilliamsstone.com. And what I would love to share with your listeners is my Smart Woman's Guide to Healthy Living Over 40. And you can find that at katewilliamsstone.com slash guide. And in there, there's a quiz about are you in perimenopause? Because it's based on symptoms symptoms, not a blood test. So you can find out if you're in perimenopause. I've included um, some hormone healthy recipes in there and more information about the intuitive eating principles. The intuitive eating principles that I went over today are in there. So you can have them uh -huh. in black and white to yes. read over. So grab that guide. That would be the place. And then also on Instagram, I'm Kate W. Stone. So you can find me there. And then how you can work with me is I always offer a complimentary um, strategy session. Um, so if you're curious more about your perimenopausal symptoms or learning more about intuitive eating and how to apply that to your body image food struggles, book a call with me. And um, I work in a one-on-one -on -one capacity right now, and that will change probably in the new year, but details to be announced. But I work one-on-one -on -one <laughs> with people because I find women of this age are busy their schedules are complicated and let's just like zone in on what you need and where you want to go versus, uh, so I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching Good. and okay. I would love to open up that complimentary session to anybody who's all listening. Right. Well, I will include links to all that you just shared in the show notes and, um, definitely follow her on Instagram. It is, I, I've learned just a little bit and that's just like through scrolling quick, like, ooh, let me read this one. You're one of the accounts that like, I actually went through and purged out a lot of accounts that like, oh, I don't really like gain anything or I'm just following and like scrolling, but you definitely share wisdom and things that I'm able to like take a step back and apply to my life and think makes me think about my own healthy living and how I'm showing up. So definitely follow the Instagram. I will share all the show. Thank notes. you. We will. And that guide was fantastic. I loved it. I got to preview it and um, it was, it did, it had all this, you know, the foundational principles of intuitive eating, but then also I was able to check mark, you know, a whole bunch of perimenopause symptoms <laughs> off the list. And I was like, okay, well, there's far more than three. <laughs> um, but anyway, I cannot wait to have a conversation and deep dive more into perimenopause and all of that with you soon. But thank you again for coming on the show today. And thank you. It was an honor. Time. And it's all right. Yeah. Great conversation. Thank you, Angie. All right. Thank you. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of the Intuitive Mother Podcast. I am so deeply grateful for each and every one of you that has listened in, whether it's your 50th episode or first episode, you taking the time to share this sacred space with me means the world to me and warms my heart. I would love to hear from each and every one of you about what interviews you loved and what you want to hear more of. Drop me a line at Angie at AngieShaper.com. On my website, you can also learn more about the programs that I'm offering and the coaching and healings that are also available for each one of you as you journey home to your sacred self. I am 
thankful for you spending your time with me, and I cannot wait to share another episode with you next week. Have a great day. Thank you.